Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back one month to February 15, 2023, for our in-person event with the Congressional Medal of Honor Society. For over a decade, the Reagan Foundation has partnered with the Medal of Honor Society to hold their annual Medal of Honor Forum, whereby Medal of Honor recipients speak with students about their stories of courage and sacrifice, exploring such themes as patriotism, citizenship, and integrity. During this year's program, we heard from Sergeant First Class Gary Luttrell, U.S. Army retired, who received the citation for his Medal of Honor during the Vietnam War after fighting in Kantem Provenance in April 1970. The Medal of Honor is the United States Armed Forces' highest military decoration and is awarded to recognize American soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, guardians, and Coast Guardsmen who have distinguished themselves by acts of valor. It is awarded for gallantry and bravery at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty. President Reagan once said, The world must see an America that is morally strong with a creed and a vision. We are such people. This is what has led us to dare and to achieve. For us, values count. They are the wellspring of our American way of life, the real meaning of the Hall of Honor, service to country, patriotism, honor, and sacrifice. Gary Luttrell exemplifies the very best example of this meaning, and his words and actions serve as an inspiration to our nation's children through this annual program. Let's listen. Well, welcome, and let's start at the beginning, Gary. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, what life was like for a younger Gary. Wow, that's a good start. I was born in uh, Henderson, Kentucky, and I come from probably one of the most dysfunctional families that you can imagine. Uh, one of the first things that I can remember was my dad and uncle getting into a knife fight and my dad bleeding all over the house and across the yard. Uh, you know, the second thing I can remember is looking down in the coffin and looking at my dead mother and little brother that had gotten run over by a car. and. Life was, uh, life was not good for me. I lived with family to family for, until I was uh, 15 years old. At the age of 15 years old, I took my birth certificate and uh, I changed my age to say I was 17 years old. And I lived in Kentucky and I said, if I hitchhike out to California, nobody would know me out there and I can join the army. I was halfway through basic training. Um, I got caught. And uh, they gave me a $10 bill and a bus ticket, and back to uh, Los Angeles, California, I came. And I was literally walking the streets uh, homeless at 15. And I seen a uh, sign, Help Wanted, auto parts store. I walked in and said, you need help, I need a job. And I can remember Mr. Toy looking at me and said, son, how old are you? And I said, 15. Well, where's your family? I said, I don't have any. Well, you got a job. So I stayed there and worked for two years until I was 17 and joined the Army, and it's been uphill ever since. <laughs> what did honor mean to you? Oh. That is a, you know, a, um, 
Definitely adversity getting over a childhood with losing family. What did honor mean to you when you were growing up? You know, when I was growing up, I had zero parental guidance. And so the word honor meant absolutely nothing to me until I joined the military. And then I started looking at the men and women that had preceded me in the military and the great achievements that they had accomplished. And honor then took on a meaning. You have to honor those that have done outstanding things prior to you and try to use that as your mentor. Did you have a teacher, coach, mentor, friend, either when you were in LA working at the auto parts store, was there anybody who helped and gave you guidance along the way? No, I had zero guidance until I joined the army and then I got too much guidance. <laughs> uh, each drill sergeant I think took turns and polishing their boots on me. Uh, that's good guidance, you learn quick. But uh, no, all of my guidance come from the military. I, um, I realized early if I wanted, and I, I always had a burning desire coming from absolutely nothing, being voted the one most likely to never succeed in anything. I always had a desire. I remember looking in the mirror and saying to myself, I want to be somebody someday. I am tired of being a nothing, a nobody. How can I do that? And I remember that image in that mirror looking back at me saying, find a mentor. Find someone that you can look up to. And then you strive to be that person. That person was Sergeant Sawyer. He was a young Sergeant E5, only two to three years older than I. But he was the epitome of a soldier. I was in the 173rd Airborne Brigade in Okinawa at the time. And I looked at him, he had a master parachute badge, as you can see on, on the foot. Oh my God, he's a master parachutist. He's a jump master. He had that U.S. Army Ranger tab on his shoulder. Wow, he's graduated from, I have got to be Sergeant Sawyer. And so that was my mentor. At the age of 19, I made Sergeant E-5. Went back to the 82nd Airborne Division. Immediately got my master parachute wings. A year later, got my Army Ranger tab. All thanks to Sergeant Sawyer. Then I had to find another mentor. What's next? If I'm going to be somebody, I've got to be the best. What's next? What's next? And I continued to seek mentors, and I even still consider. And for you young men and women here, find a mentor. Look at that Sergeant Sawyer and say, I want to be somebody. I want to be just like Sergeant Sawyer. Now I want to be like First Sergeant Jones. Now I want to be like Sergeant Major Casey. Set your goals and continue. I still have goals. I'm not achieving too many now. I'm too old. Most of my bucket list has been checked off, but I still have goals now. I, my goal is to every day Learn something from somebody. Every day. If you go through a whole day and you didn't learn something, you just wasted a day. Okay? I'm probably talking too much. Let's get to the next question. Not at all. 
But what a day. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people who can check off the box of uh, learning today. So a quick poll of the audience. Raise your hand if you, uh, young people in the audience, if you have a mentor, somebody guiding you along the way already. Anybody have? OK, I'm seeing Great. some reluctant hands. OK, all right. <laughs> See, Billy Hall still, uh, still has a mentor. Great. Well, I think that's great advice to find those people who want to boost you and lift you up along the way. What were your first few months out of the service like? Oh, my goodness. I, gradu I, I graduated. I, I retired prematurely. I, um, I got promoted out of happiness. Okay? I was a troop trainer all of my life. I trained troops. I went to combat with troops. I come back. I trained new troops to go back into combat with troops. And I got promoted to command sergeant major. And I view that position, no disrespect to the rank, okay? But I viewed that position as a babysitter for colonels and generals. And I was not a good babysitter. <laughs> and so I, I, I was a troop trainer. I wanted to train troops. And so I put in my retirement pa uh, papers and... Um, the sergeant major of the Army that time had been my battalion sergeant major when I was a first sergeant, first 75th Ranger Battalion. So he immediately summons me to D.C. Um, what happened? Why are you putting in your retirement papers? You know, I've got plans for you. What will it take to keep you in the Army? And he was expecting me to say, well, let me be the sergeant major of the 82nd Airborne Division, or can I have the 1st 75th Ranger Battalion? And I said, take this command sergeant major off and put E-7 back on me and give me a platoon of troops that I can train for combat. And he said, well, that's not going to happen. And so I, um, I floundered a little bit, okay? I floundered, had very dis different ideas of what civilian life, and first off, I didn't like civilians, and uh, no offense, but they didn't think right. They drank different water than me. But now I am a civilian, and I drank their water, so I love all, all the civilians now. So I started a second career with the Veterans Administration, and that was good. I was the patient advocate. It was almost like being a sergeant major in the Army, okay? I could handle problems. Okay, if a problem come to me, they expect me to solve it, and I've done a real good job. And so I retired from that and started my own business, medical rehab equipment. I seen kids coming back from Afghanistan, blast injuries, uh, and there wasn't rehabilitation equipment that they needed because we wasn't expecting so many blast injuries back. And so I started that, and then I, found, I, I formed my own foundation, Tribute to Valor Foundation, and I work with the Medal of Honor Society Foundation and my foundation to get in front of as many children as I possibly can and talk about the six core values of this medal. As mentioned earlier, courage, commitment, sacrifice, integrity, citizenship, and patriotism. And the one I really zero in on the most and I want you young men and women to listen closely now. I really zero in on the word integrity. To me, integrity is the most important word in our English language. Without integrity, if you grow up 
If you grow up without integrity, you're growing up an empty body without a soul. Who are you? I want all of you, I want all of you young men and women now, and your older ones also, look in the mirror. Ask yourself, who am I? Am I a person with integrity? How do I want to be viewed by the person to my right and left? How do I want to be viewed by my teachers and my parents? But most important of all, look in that mirror. How do you want to be perceived by you? That image looking back at you. Integrity. Never lie, never steal, and never cheat. The first time you lie, it's going to be hard. It's hard to tell a lie. I remember my first lie it was hard. I didn't like it. Okay? I try not to lie now, but I've told lies in my life. All of us have. I still tell some little white ones, you know, like, do you like my hair? Yeah, I like your hair. No, I don't like that hair. Well, that's a little white lie. You get by with that, okay? Does this dress make me look fat? No, no, honey, that dress makes you look skinny. You tell those little white lies to survive, okay? And, and so, but I'm talking about a lie, a lie that will hurt someone, okay? Never lie. Be perceived by the people to your right and left is, if they say it, you can take it to the bank because they've never lied. Never take something that doesn't belong to you. The first time you steal, it's hard. The second time you steal, it gets easier. Pretty soon, what are you? You're a thief. You look in that mirror, what's looking back at you? A thief. Okay? You can't feel comfortable about that. Cheat. Everyone in here has cheated in some form in their lifetime. Okay, I have. I've cheated. I'm not proud of it, but I've cheated a time or two. Who are you cheating when you cheat? You're cheating you. You're not cheating your parents. You're not cheating your teachers. You're cheating you. Look in that mirror. What looks back at you? A cheater. You can't be comfortable with that. Look in that mirror. What looks back at you? A liar a thief, a cheater. That is integrity, the most important word in the English language. And if you leave here today, if you'll take one thing with you, I must grow up with integrity because I want to be somebody. I want to be a mentor for somebody someday. I can't do that unless I have integrity, okay? I heard a story in which you committed to working with a group of South Vietnamese Rangers who impressed you. They did. Can you share that story and talk about qualities and people that you find impressive? I was fortunate enough when I went to Vietnam, I was first, first off, before I went to Vietnam, um, when I graduated from Ranger School and, and got that Ranger tab, I, I hate to say it, but I graduated only second in my class. A cotton picking Marine beat me out. But it's okay. He was my ranger buddy. And it was a two enlisted. He was E6, I was an E5, right? And we were in, in ranger school with a whole bunch of lieutenants. Well, that's a given fact. That we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rise to the top. So they assigned us. He was my ranger buddy. So I said, look, I've already stacked the deck. I know what it takes. I've done my homework about ranger school. I know what it takes to get extra points. And when you do it, these lieutenants can't outshine us. We're going to graduate one and two. 
And we did, okay? I'd, I'd already scoped it out. I knew when you're out on patrol, if you volunteer to be point man and compass, okay, you got a lot more sleep because they wanted to keep you fresh. And if you got them from point A to point B without getting lost, those instructors would give you an extra 10 point called a spot report, okay? We volunteered. We volunteered point and, point and compass. We were both good, okay? And so we graduated first and second. My ranger buddy beat me out. So the moral of the story is I graduated second, and so I got to be an instructor in ranger school. So when I got ready to go to Vietnam, getting back to your questions, you thought I got out in the weeds, didn't you? But it, <laughs> so when I got ready to go to, uh, to Vietnam as being a ranger instructor, they said, okay, we're going to send you over to uh, work with the South Vietnamese rangers. So I went a year to, to language school, uh, and I really committed myself. I really committed myself. I said, if I'm going to work with the Vietnamese they're giving me a year to master this language. I didn't master it, but I got pretty cotton picking good. And when it come time for battle, it really paid off because I was speaking their language to them. Okay. So I got to Vietnam. Um, the 23rd Vietnamese Ranger Battalion had just been annihilated. And that happens about every eight months in general. They'll commit that battalion into battle and, and uh, get beat down pretty bad. So I went to their Ranger School I got the opportunity to go through the Vietnamese Ranger School with my battalion. We formed a new battalion, went back to play coup, and um, boy, they were the absolute best. And they held me in very, very high esteem because I spoke their language, okay? And then you want me to go into the four days on the hill? Please. Is that what you want? Okay. You lead, we'll follow. Okay, I, this is, a, this is I, I don't normally go here, but I will today. Okay, uh, because all of you can read the citation. All you have to do is just Google CSM Gary Luttrell. But I'll give you a short version of it. Um, we got into a four-day, four-night scrap. And I'd been in country for eight months. And um, the 23rd Vietnamese Ranger Battalion consisted of 473 Vietnamese Rangers. And we had four advisors. And we were moving, there was another Medal of Honor recipient that has been here at the Reagan Library, Gary Bykirk. Okay, a lot of folks know Gary really, really well. Gary Bykirk was in a Special Forces base camp that had just been overrun by the 66th NVA Regiment, the 29th NVA Regiment, and the K-6 Sapper Battalion, which consisted of about 5,000 of the North Vietnamese best. Now, Gary had beat them down to a, to a bit, but he was in bad shape. So our mission was take my Vietnamese Ranger Battalion, penetrate his perimeter, set up an inner perimeter, and evacuate the dead and wounded. I got one hilltop short, and night fell, and, and we didn't move in Vietnam at night. So I said, okay, we'll spend the night here, and we'll penetrate his uh, position tomorrow. Well, I was senior. I was an E7 by then, 24 years old, and I'm an E7, okay? I done well in the beginning, okay? Um, I had two lieutenants and an E5. Poor me, but it's okay. It's okay. I'll train them, you know? And so we get up on the hill, and, and you get a sixth sense if you've been in the military for a while. 
Everybody understand what that sixth sense is? Okay, you get a feeling things are not right. Eh, things are not right here. I, I don't like no noise. I don't hear the monkeys and the birds. That means there's people out there, you know. And so I looked at the, the two lieutenants and the Sergeant E5 and I said, guys, let's dig in. We never dug a foxhole, never. We slept in hammocks, okay? I said, dig in. I'm gonna take some C4, which is explosives. You know what C4 is. Probably played with it, hadn't you? So I said, I'm gonna take some C4 and I'm gonna fall over the side of this hill and I'm gonna blow us a LZ, a landing zone. I just have a feeling we're gonna need some helicopter support for this day's over. And sure enough, we did. So anyway, I said, dig in. And the two lieutenants and the Sergeant D5 looked at me and said, listen to the old man. I'm 24 years old and I'm the old man, okay? That's, we send our kids to battle. Listen to the old man. He expects us to dig in these rocks. And I said, guys, at least a fighting position. Dig enough to at least get in a fighting position. I, I, I just don't feel comfortable. So I fell off the hill, blew me an LZ, used all my C4, got it cleared out while I was operating in the mountains slash jungle, jungle mountainous area. And uh, so I had to blow a, a landing zone. So I just finished blowing the landing zone and I hear an old hollow sound, a thump, thump, thump. I said, ooh, that don't sound good. That sounds like 60 millimeter mortar to me. And I bet you they got this hill zeroed in. And then I hear three more, three more, and three more. And I said, well, I've got 12, 60 millimeter mortars in the air and I need to get to my foxhole. Before I left the hill, when the, the Americans were complaining, I looked at my two cowboys. Uh, I was assigned two people. One was my bodyguard, one was for my comfort. Okay, made my hammock, uh, fixed my coffee in the morning, fixed my meals. I was spoiled, okay? The Vietnamese took really good care of me. So I looked at my two cowboys and I said, dig a hole big enough for the three of us. And I felt, I knew that hole would be dug. And so I said, I've got to make it back up to this hill and get in that hole before those 12 mortar rounds start impacting. And uh, for your older people, you'll understand this. I was like OJ through the airport, okay? <laughs> you younger, you don't understand that, okay? I mean, in other words, I was high stepping, okay? And so I was hoping I could do a swan dive into my foxhole I got to my foxhole, the battalion commander and Lieutenant Green and battalion commander's RTO was in my foxhole. My two cowboys were standing over the side looking like this. And I, I, I will admit, I used the Lord's name in vain. I should not have, God forgive me. I was upset, okay? I, said, I seen a tree that had been falling and I'm like Forrest Gump at that time. If I get shrapnel, it's gonna be in my buttocks because I'm going <laughs> face first into this tree, okay? And then I started counting. One, two, counted to 12. I could smell that burnt eggs, okay? If you smell burnt eggs from a mortar, that mortar's in your hip pocket. I mean, that, the first few feet of that explosion smells like burnt eggs. I smelled burnt eggs and I said, boy, it's close. I know it's close. But I counted 12 and I didn't feel any, anything. I got up and I said, now nah, I'm gonna go over to that foxhole. And I'm going to have a come to Jesus meeting with those three. 
And I walked over to the foxhole and one of those 12 mortar rounds had gone into the foxhole, killed the battalion commander, killed Lieutenant Green, killed the RTO. Sergeant Humphreys is, um, no, Lieutenant Humphreys was full of shrapnel. Green was dead. Sergeant Dykes had his ear bur balls bursted. He was bleeding out the nose and ear. And I said, Dan, I'm the only one. I'm the only American left here. They, you know, times are getting hard. We, got, we better buckle down and be prepared to fight. So I got, I got a couple of helicopters in, um, got their bodies out, and got Humphreys and, uh, and, and Dykes out. And uh, so I called into Colonel Somme, who was my Vietnamese commander and give him a situation report. I had put him through ranger school, and that's a different, altogether different story. But 23 Vietnamese colonels come to the U.S. Army Ranger School, and when I got there, he remembered me, or did he ever. Uh, I'd done a few push-ups for him because he had done a few push-ups for me going through ranger school. I called Colonel Somme, and I said, here's a situation report, battalion commander's dead. The battalion XO is laying in his foxhole crying like a baby. The battalion XO was a political appointee. The Rangers were good. The XO, you know. And so Colonel Somme says, okay, you're the battalion commander. Shoot the XO and take charge of the, of the battalion. And I said, I can't shoot the XO. He says, yes, battalion commander has, has execution authority. I said, maybe you, but not me. I don't have, so I let him lay there and cry for four days and four nights. And... Um, and then we got into a four-day, four-night battle, nonstop. And when the battle was over, I, won't, I don't like blood and guts, so I'm not going to get it. I'm not going there, okay? But at the end of that four-day, four-night, I finally got orders to withdraw. And I was second in order for air support uh, because we had people in contact. I wasn't in contact. But I had some good friends up there that heard that, that I was second in command. And they, they come on the air and say, hey, 33 Charlie, if we get a mission aborted, we'll come and, and help you uh, move this eight clicks. So myself, I went in with four Americans, myself, I went in with 473 Vietnamese Rangers, 41 walking wounded come off the hill. And I'd done absolutely nothing heroic. There was no heroic in this four days and four nights. I was a non-commissioned officer that was placed in charge of a Vietnamese Ranger Battalion, and I had a job to do. I'd just done my job. By doing my job, there were people on the radio, in the air, some of the crazy things that I said that I didn't realize I said until I got the after-action report and read them. And uh, some of the people felt that I went above and beyond the call of duty and put my life at risk when I didn't have to. Not true. I put my life at risk because I had to, because had I not, the 41 wouldn't come off the hill. So I hope I answered your question to... Sure. Is that good enough? <laughs> good enough. Yeah. What an incredible story. And uh, I only have a few more questions and then I'm gonna pass it over to our true guests of honor, the young people in the audience. I know we'd love to hear questions from you for Gary. But before we get to that, what did you learn about yourself while serving? You know, I learned that you can set goals and you can achieve every one of them. Even though you set your goals high, 
It may take several stair steps to get to that goal. But that's what you need to do now. You need to move forward with integrity. Set goals. Take one step at a time. Learn that you can do this. Learn that if you want to be somebody instead of a wild weed growing up in Kentucky that nobody wanted, if you set your goals, you can achieve those goals. Don't set them too high at first. Set moderate goals, obtain them, moderate, obtain them, then go for broke, set them up here high, and then go for the gusto. But you have to set your goals you have to constantly have a mentor and you have to constantly move through life with integrity. Integrity, the most important word in the English language. Never forget that. There's a lot of conversation about younger generations living a very different world from those who lived in the 20th century. Are there constant threads that you see connecting older and younger generations? I, I, you know, I didn't understand. Let's <laughs> you, try that one more time. Do you see connections between people who spent the majority of their life in the 20th century versus young people now whose futures are ahead of them? Connections between generations that are passed along or that are... You know, I, I, I do, and, and I take that, you know, I'm an old man, okay? My, grand, my youngest grandbaby's 21, okay? He's a junior in college. So, and, and my... Granddaughter says, Papa, you, you, you're 10 days older than dirt. So, you know, I'm an old man. So to communicate with, with a younger generation, I have to go to my youngest grandson. And I have a real good line of communications. The thought process is the same. I, I really believe it is. We do have political differences sometimes. Okay, but we won't go there. Um, I'm a little bit more... Uh, regimented. I believe my generation was a little bit more regimented than this generation. And I contribute that to, to the media, the, the easy access, these, these sinful things that I'm addicted to, the cell phone, you know, and the text messages. But yes, uh, my grandson and I have a very good line of communications. And I established that because I tell all four of my grand grandchildren, three grandsons and a granddaughter, you can come to Papa. You can say anything. You can talk about anything. If you've made a mistake, a serious mistake, a mind, come talk to Papa. I will not be judgmental. I will not. I will not judge you. I'll always love you. And I will give you several possible ways to correct it. Keep that line, keep that line of communication. My grandkids will come and talk to me about things that they would never talk to their parents about. You need that, you need that. You need that adult. Find that adult that is not judgmental, okay? And is a good listener. Talk to that person. Everyone needs that. But I don't, I, the generations down root, level are the same. More from our annual Medal of Honor forum after this message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him 
with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our Medal of Honor forum. All right, my last question, then I'll throw it out to the audience. Uh, in our educational programs with students, we talk a lot how we believe that anyone can grow up to be a leader. Do you believe that? And how can young people strive to be better leaders? I think leaders are born. I really do. I believe outstanding leaders, you're born with that. And you increase your leadership ability as you go through. But those that are not born leaders can be very good followers. And if you're not a leader, and you don't care to be a leader, which a lot of people do not care to be leaders. They love to be in the middle, don't draw fire, but don't get fussed at, okay? And you know, that's okay, that's okay. If, you're, if, you're, if you don't strive to be a leader, it's okay to meet your goal and to stay in the middle. Stay in your comfort zone. Wherever you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable at this level, you say, I need to increase my leadership ability, then take leadership courses. Find your mentors. But not everyone can be a leader. We have to have followers. And if you're in the following situation, just be the best follower that you can be. Be somebody. I'm a follower, but I am the best follower. Okay? Who knows? Maybe someday the page you turn and you say, I've been such a good follower, now I'm going to try some leadership. Okay? Take leadership classes, find a mentor, a good leader, mimic that. And who knows? You may end up being the best leader. Okay, how about a big round of applause for Gary? We good on time? Okay, and now we're throwing it to the young people in the audience. Gary is an open book, so there are three people from the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation, uh, Marilyn, Courtney, and Jason, who will have microphones if you'd like to ask a question. Stand up, go to the aisle, and uh, they have mics so you can ask your questions. Okay, here's how I am a question and answer, guys and girls, okay? I don't talk politics, and I don't talk religion. Everything else is on the table. Now, I don't have to report to anyone anymore, okay? I, I don't report, I don't have to say yes to a general, and, and uh, so I'll answer your question from my heart, the best of my ability, okay? So if you ask it, if it's not religion or politics, you're gonna get the answer. You might not like the answer, but I'm gonna answer from the heart. All questions is on the table, Minus those two. Let's go for it. Let's have some fun, okay? Let's go for it. Hello, sir. Uh, my name is uh, William Gilmore, and I'm from Chaparral High School. And I had a question. Uh, what was the, uh, the like, best part about the Army, and what did you love most about it? 
The thing I love most about the Army uh, was the individuals. And the thing I love most about it was I identified, I identified early in life that I could read a field manual tonight and I could get up in front of a group of people tomorrow and teach that class verbatim. I love the people, I love the training, and I love being a leader. All right, students, oh, here we go. Hi, my name is Sophia and I'm from High Desert School. I would love to know, how is it, how did you feel on your first day going onto the battlefield? Uh, tell me what you said. Uh, how'd you feel your first day going onto the battlefield? I, um, thank you, that's a good question. Um, I, I felt good about the situation because I know that I was taking a battalion in to rescue someone, okay? I wasn't just going in to find the enemy and, and have a good battle. I was actually going in to rescue someone that needed my help. Come to find out, it was Gary Biker. I didn't know him at the time. He become another a Medal of Honor recipient. His wife and my wife, the four of us, become the very, very best of friends. You know, but I felt good about hey, I'm going to rescue someone, and come to find out that, uh, and I had no idea. Uh, I'm gonna get in the weeds a little bit, but uh, I had no idea that Gary and I were in the same battle until we got to the White House three and a half years later. And funny story, there was nine of us and President Nixon come in and we were right in between Watergate and goodbye for him, okay? So he had a lot of fish to fry that day and we, we was just one fish. So he come running in real quick, put the metal around our neck, muttered something and out the door he went. And so they were, the, his aide uh, was reading uh, the citations and then he'd go and pin the metal, okay? There were nine of us. So they start out, in Doxiang Province in April 1970. And I said, oh, that's, he's getting ready to read mine, okay? Gary Backhirk. And I said, ain't this something? Ain't this, I'm in the White House and I can't even get my last name right. I'm, it's Gary Luttrell. <laughs> and then anybody started reading the, on with a citation, Special Forces Medic, Doxiang Base Camp. And I said, isn't this something? That's the guy I was going to rescue. I had no idea. And we both ended up Medal of Honor recipient. But I felt good because of the rescue missing. Good question. Thank you. You're welcome. Good morning, sir. My name is Cadet First Lieutenant Cole Cowdery, and I'm at Royal High School Air Force Junior ROTC. And my question to you is, what was the greatest contributing factor to the success of your leadership in the United States Army? What do you say? Uh, that what was the, your greatest success in leadership in the Army? Good question. Thank you. I, I'm hearing impaired, so I, I, I have to ask my translator. Um, <laughs> my greatest achievement, I believe, in looking back was probably when I was a first sergeant in the 1st 75th Ranger Battalion because I trained those Rangers straight out of Ranger School to be on the cutting edge of special operations. I trained them to be the very, very best. And so 
years after that, I would run into some of my young enlisted rangers. And now they're captains and they're majors. And they look at me and say, First Sergeant, we didn't always like you, but we respected you. And without your positive leadership, I would not be where I am today. That's very rewarding. And then when I look, I go to the Sergeant Majors Academy 20 years after I retire, and some of the younger uh, rangers that I trained are now Sergeant Majors attending the Sergeant Majors Academy. And they say the same thing. Thanks to your leadership, thanks to you making us at times do things that we really didn't want to do. In hindsight, we know now that we would not be the soldier we are if it wasn't for your positive leadership. That's very rewarding. Good question. Thank you. Hi, I'm Emma, and I'm from High Desert School. Would you, do, would you go into the Army again, and if so, would you do something different? Would you go into the Army again, and if so, would you do something different this time around? You know, that's a, that's a fair question. I told you I'm going to answer from the heart, right? And I'm going to do that. I did not encourage any of my four grandkids to join the military. I am a firm believer in our current military. We're getting into fights we don't need to get into. I do truly believe that. I truly believe that we're here to defend this great nation 100%. And we go into wars and our servicemen and women have their hands tied behind them because of the rules of engagement. I don't believe if I had to do it all over again, which the army was my saving grace, okay? I don't believe that I would go in the military today because I do not believe that the last battles that we've fought, and a prime example of that, and again, I'm not getting into politics, look at Afghanistan and look at our disgraceful pull out of there. Okay? Good question. Thank you. That's a hard question. Hi, my name is Autumn Nolte. I'm from Trinity Pacific, and I was wondering what was the hardest part about all your invention? I mean, all your, um, what was the hardest part about you from your childhood and now? What was the hardest part of your adventures, which I liked, your first part? Adventures? Adventures, but from childhood to now, what was uh, a single moment or the hardest part or one of the hardest parts that you overcame? I think the hardest thing of my life was early in life, okay? When my dad and uncle was knife fighting and I thought my dad had passed away, he didn't. Um, and then looking down, I'm five years old, looking down in the casket at my dead mother and little brother that had gotten run over by a car. And then growing up without any love Okay? And you, and you need love. You need love. I need love. Everyone needs love. 
But I, I never, until I was 17 years old, I never had anyone put their arm around me, hug me, and tell me they loved me until I met my little wife. So that was the hardest challenge that I had, was getting from day to day, knowing that I was unwanted, no one cared, and needing a hug, needing a compliment, someone to pat me on the back and say, you've done a good job today. That was the hardest part of my life. Life started becoming really real and beautiful for me when I joined the Army and met my sweet little wife. We were 17 years old when we got married. And we were together for 58 years and 10 months before she passed away. But life started to be beautiful when I felt that I was loved, that I could share love, I could give love, and that I was a good soldier. Does that answer your question? Thank you. Hi, I'm Lexi Van Ornum from High Desert School. You said you started a company for prosthetics. Are you still doing that company? Uh, that you started your company. Um, she, said, she mentioned prosthetics, but it was medical equipment or prosthetics. Oh, but if you yes. could tell us more about that. Yes, I, I will. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was working with the Veterans Administration as the patient advocate. Well, as the patient advocate, you're, you're exposed to everything in that hospital. And because the VA hospital in Tampa was receiving a lot of active duty patients, we had 54 active duty patients in our VA hospital at one time, and they were mostly spinal cord injury and blast injury, traumatic brain injury. And there, was, there, there were no medical um, therapy equipment to help regain the use of hands. Everyone was concentrating on getting them up and getting them walking. And I asked a young active duty, what's, he was in a wheelchair, and I said, what's the most important thing to you? To be able to get up and walk or to be able to use your hands? And he says, oh no, no there's, that's, that's real easy. If I could use my hands, I don't care if I'm in a wheelchair, I could roll myself. I won't control my hands. So I've done research. I talked to neurologists. And I said, you know what? I have to start a company and we need to produce medical therapy equipment to regain use of the hands. And so we developed, I contacted a little brainiac here in Los Angeles, okay? Um, who was, he, he'd, done, he'd done a lot of, of, of work. He, he was a, a genius. And I says, Let's get a therapeutic glove. And the doctors have said, we need to move the fingers and we need to have electrical stimulation for traumatic brain and on spinal cord, if it's not a total severance, if there's just a little bit of spinal cord left, we can regain the use. And so we developed a glove that would move the fingers in a tapping motion and then two motors on the thumb to move it in and rotate it. And as the fingers went down, the electrodes on top 
We send an electrical charge through the nerves, and as the fingers come up, two electrodes on the bottom would send an electrical charge. And with repeated repetition, an hour, four days a week, for three months, we had success in getting use of the hands back for some of our veterans. So that's, uh, that, does that answer your question? My name is Corinne Davila from uh, Chaparral's NJROTC program. My question is, could you see your life being any different if you decided not to join at 17? Could you see your life as any different if you hadn't gone into the military at 17? I probably would not have lived long. I was a little on the wild and crazy side. I will admit that. Um, had I not been in the military, I would have probably gotten killed or gone to jail. Not proud of that, but without any parental guidance, living on the streets, you're going to adjust to the streets and you're going to go to jail or go to prison. And had I not gone into the military, don't take me wrong, I'm very proud of my military career. I'm very proud of the people that I trained. When I said earlier I would not go back in under today's circumstances, okay, that doesn't mean that I'm not proud of our military. I mean, I love our military men and women. I don't like the politics of our military right now, okay? Does that answer your question? Thank you. I'm not a good recruiter. Hi, my name is Connor Copeman. Right here. My question to you is what it felt like to get the Medal of Honor put on your neck at the White House. What did it feel like to get the Medal of Honor put uh, around your neck at the White House? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was a good question. I, I guess I can say this. Yeah, I can say it. I was shot in the butt with a glory gun. <laughs> <laughs> is it okay for me to say that? Is that okay? That's probably borderlining a little bit. But, you know, I just, wow, look at me. Okay, now, this is a good question and I'm gonna elaborate on it a little bit. I was not proud of myself several months after my award, okay? I let it go to my head. Listen to me now, listen to me. You may have this happen to you. I, I was just a young E7, training troops, doing my job, you know, the closest thing that I come to the president was a two-star general, okay? Anything above a two-star general was in space for me. And all of a sudden, I'm in the White House. The president of the United States. I go over to the Pentagon, and I have generals, brigadier generals serving me coffee, okay? In the Secretary of Defense's office. It's like, really? You know? And it went to my head. I thought I was somebody that I wasn't. Now here's what happened. Here's what happened. Thanks to a very good friend of mine, Sergeant Major Joe Feeney. Friday, after, Friday night, we'd have first sergeant's call. We'd all go to the NCO club, and after first sergeant's call, we'd drink a beer. Sergeant Major Feeney, who'd been a really good friend of mine, come up, sit beside me, and put his arm around me. 
He says, Gary, I don't like you anymore. What? I don't like you anymore. I don't like the Gary that you are now. I like the Gary before you got this medal. Why don't you get off of this pedestal that you've put yourself on and come on back down and be the Gary that I knew and liked before? And it was just like hitting me right between the eyes with a ball bat. This is a good question. I'm glad you asked this. I got up and went home. I walked in, my little wife looked at me and, honey, what's wrong? You, you look like you've seen a ghost. And I sat down and shared this with her. Her being the sweet little thing that she was had never told me until that night. She said, Gary, Joe's, Joe's telling her the truth. I said, oh my God. Am I really? Am I really? Shot in the butt with that glory gun? I didn't go anywhere all weekend long. I just sat there and talked to my little wife and said, honey, I've got, I've got to improve my image. And she says, take the word Medal of Honor out of your vocabulary. Go back to training soldiers. I went to see Sergeant Major Feeney in his office Monday morning. I walked in and I said, Joe, Thank you. It took a good friend to tell me that. I will do my best to improve. A couple of months later, he put his arm around me and says, Gary, I like you now. <laughs> Don't let anything cause you to place yourself. Now, I had help getting up on that pedestal, okay? I admit I had help. I mean, when you get serving, serve coffee and the Secretary of Defense's office by a Brigadier General. You know, I had help putting myself up on this pedestal. But I stayed up there. I should have come on when I left the Pentagon and got back to my unit. I should have come on back down with the troops. But it took Sergeant Major Feeney to cause me to do that. Very, very good question. Thank you very much. And I'm glad I was able to share this. I'm not proud of that, folks. But I'm able to talk about it now. I was ashamed of myself very much so. Thank you. I know we're coming up on time here, so I appreciate your patience. Let's do two more questions, and then um, apologies, we're not able to get to all the questions, but thank you students for fabulous questions that are really bringing some new insights into Gary. So let's go over here. She's got something right here. You wanted to say something? Uh, we'll Did go here in the mall. Oh, okay. Oh. Hello, sir. I'm uh, Brianna Hayes from Chaparral High School. And my question is, when you were on the battlefield, what kept you going? What kept repeating in your head that kept you fighting? Was it a person, a thing, or a quote? When you were on the battlefield, what, um, I think images you had in your head, people, quotes, you know, uh, people from home, images, what, what kept mm. you going in the battlefield? You know, you know that, and, and again, that's, that's a very good question. You would think that I would have thought about my wife, my kids, but I didn't have time. We, as soon as that mortar round was, that 12 mortar rounds impacted, human waves of that 5,000 people tried to come up that hill 
and it was nonstop. And so we went 24-7. Now, people say there's no way that you can go four days and four nights without sleep. Um, no, you can't. I had to have had some 10 or 15-minute catnaps. I had to. You can't survive without it. In between, in between waves coming at you, I had to have crashed for a few minutes. But it was the last night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. About 8 o'clock, we got the, the mission to withdraw. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I just crawled around the perimeter trying to redistribute ammunition, you know, come to find out there was no ammunition left to distribute. And I said, okay, all right, the next wave, you know, it's it. The next wave that comes over the hill, it's going to be hand-to-hand combat, and we're all going to die. And I remember just leaning up against a tree, quiet, peaceful, tranquil feeling come over me. And I'm thinking, Susie, Larry, Jerry, I love you guys, but your dad's going to die. I'll never see the sunrise because the next human wave, we're out of ammunition. But next human wave didn't come. That was the only time that I got to reflect back other than constant concentrating on fortifying positions, treating the wounded, redistributing ammunition. I didn't have time to think about anything but the battle itself. But I did have that little quiet time waiting for the last, the last go around that I was able to reflect back on my family. And next morning, 8 o'clock, we was able to withdraw. That next wave didn't come. Okay? One more question? Yep. Hi, I'm Cameron McGriff from High Desert in seventh grade. What is the most important thing you want us to know growing up? What's the most important thing you want all these young people in the audience to know about growing up? The most important thing, and I'm just repeating, but I want to. Grow up with integrity. That's the most important thing. If you have integrity, everything else will fall in place. If you have integrity, your studies will fall in place. Your after-school activities will fall in place. Your family love will fall in place. But grow up with the six core values of this medal. Courage. Do the right thing under adverse conditions. That's courage. You don't have to have courage on the battlefield. Courage on the battlefield comes natural if you're trained. Courage to do the right thing under adverse conditions. Commitment. If you commit yourself, don't quit halfway through and put the burden on everyone to your right and left. If you commit, go to the end. Sacrifice. Be willing to sacrifice something that you have for those less fortunate than you. There's an old saying, and it's true. It's much better to give than to receive. 
Now, I'm at the point in my life where receiving, I don't need to be receiving because I got every toy there is that I want, okay? I'm back in the giving stage now and the enjoyment that I get in giving. It's not that I'm not sacrificing that much. When I was younger, it would have been a serious sacrifice, but I am giving now the feeling that I get, the goodness. And give you an example. Give you an example. I'm going through the grocery line the other day, and there's an elderly lady in front of me, and she had a small packet pack of, of groceries. And I looked, and it was strictly essentials. There was no, there was no steak and lobster. Okay, there's no bottle of wine. Essentials. And she was going through her purse, digging through change. She didn't have a credit card. She didn't have any bills. And I just looked at her, and I do this quite often, but I always ask. I said, ma'am, it would make me feel really, really good today if I could just pay for these. Can I pay for those? And she started crying. She said, thank you. And I said to the widow, I said, put hers all on my credit card. Okay? When I walked outside, the joy I had in my heart was unbelievable. Wow. And what did it cost me? I think $23. You can't buy that much enjoyment. Okay? Courage, commitment, sacrifice. Okay? Sacrifice some of your comfort for those less fortunate. Integrity. I've touched that one enough. Citizenship and patriotism. Be a good citizen. Be a good patriot. Love this country. We are living in the best country in the world. Are we perfect? Are we perfect? No, but we're closer to perfect than any other. I have traveled all around the world. I have been literally everywhere. There is no country that will come close to what we are. No country. You look at some of our third worlds, you see kids starving to death. I went on a hunting safari in Africa, and we took the meat that we, of the animals, and we took it down to an orphanage. And when those kids seen that truck, they recognized that truck. That's the truck that brings us meat. They just flocked us, hugged us. Little kid hugged it, pulled it on my leg, okay? Because we were feeding them. Greatest country in the world. We don't have that. Love your country. Be a good citizen. Be a good patriot. Grow up with integrity. I love you guys. Thank you. Last question. All of our past Medal of Honor forms can be found on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash reaganfoundation. To find a listing of all upcoming events, please visit reaganfoundation.org slash events. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, thanks for listening. 
God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.